Welcome to Am I Qualified to Do This, a podcast for anyone who's ever asked themselves the question, am I qualified to do this? Whether it be at work, raising a child, buying a house, getting that degree, or starting that business or any other aspect of your life. I'm your host, Catherine McClellan-Kelly, constant overcommitter, experiencer of anxiety, studier of imposter syndrome, and constant asker of the question, am I qualified to do this? Including right now as I record and edit this podcast. It's baby season around here. I have so many friends who either just had a baby or about to have a baby. For many, that is a joyous time filled with preparation and celebration. But for some of us, especially black women, this is a time that comes with a ting of concern of will we make it. I know there have been several data points floating around about black maternity, but I want to just bring up some that absolutely scared the shit out of me. One. Statistics show that black women are three to four times more likely to experience pregnancy-related death than white women. What's worse is that the CDC claims that three out of five pregnancy-related deaths could have been prevented. Two, underlying health conditions such as high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease are leading causes of maternal death. Also, black women are at a higher risk of developing preeclampsia and therefore have approximately 1.7-fold higher risk of dying from cardiovascular disease later in life. Three, data shows that black women often aren't believed when they say they're in pain, and much of that is due to discrimination bias in the healthcare industry. Four, not only are black mothers at risk while giving birth, so are our children. Black infants in America are twice as likely to die before their first birthday as white infants. Five, postpartum depression is debilitating and affects roughly 10 to 20% of women who give birth. Black moms, however, are less likely to get the help they need. A study by the National Institute of Health found that 8% of white women receive treatment for their postpartum depression compared to 4% of black women. We have all heard stories of Serena Williams' struggle to get her doctor to take her post-birth concerns seriously, even though she knew her body and knew that she had suffered from blood clots before and knew something was wrong right then. We have all seen the news stories of otherwise healthy black women dying after giving birth and leaving behind a confused and mourning husband and a new child. And if you're anything like me, that is simply terrifying. As my husband and I began to think about discussing starting a family, it wasn't just about what happens at the hospital, but how do we set ourselves up for success before and after? We began looking at midwives and doulas and realized that there's not a lot of options out there if you're looking for a black midwife or doula, even with the resources. I couldn't imagine what it would be like trying to find a midwife or doula of color when I didn't have the resources or weren't in the service area or simply just couldn't get to where they were. This week's guest is trying to solve that problem in Southern Dallas. Meet Cecily Smith, founder and executive director of Abide Health Services in Southern Dallas. Cecily prides herself in living in the gray and working through the messiness that life has to offer. Over the years, she has witnessed the devastating impact of systemic failures in healthcare, housing, and economics have had on the human condition. Having the ability to see the overlap in these structures has given her the drive to pursue justice in a way that brings unlikely people together. Cecily's passion is for Black women and the communities that she serves. Now, let's hop into the interview. Before we dig in. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, again, Cecily Smith. I am the 
founder and executive director of an org a nonprofit organization called Abide Women's Health Services. And I just love the work that I do. I love advocating for Black women. I love maternal justice. I love anti-racism work. Well, I mean, I don't love anti-racism work, but <laughs> that's I'm, what I do. We all get it. Like, it brings you joy to do it, but you're like, why do I have to do it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about Abide. Like, it's such a, like, when I first heard about it, so... Let me give you some context. This okay. wonderful woman just got a wonderful grant from an organization that I'm a part of, a Black woman giving to other Black-led organizations. Like, well, let's just take a moment to absorb the power in that statement right there. And the reason she got it is because she is doing work that we have talked about, that communities have talked about for such a long time, and yet it's still not being addressed. There is still a gap. And there's simple things that she is showing that can be done to address this, even without even going to the big legislative policy issues around it or anything like that. Like, let's start getting more Black women in the room when Black women are having babies. Let's start with that. Yeah, um, yeah. And that is, let me not interrupt. You tell us all about your organization because I could go on a soapbox forever. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you like a little bit of context, a little bit of history about Abide, how it even came to be. And honestly, it was it started off with a Facebook post uh, that said, I wonder what it would be like to have a birth center in the hood. And living in South Dallas, I'm like, what would that look like to have a space for us, you know? And then I quickly let that idea go. I had very young children. I was a part-time doula. What am I thinking? And about six months later, that concept came back. You know, it came back up. And, um, you know, I think what really um, catapulted me into this, this world of birth work, specifically with Abide, was becoming face-to-face -face with the statistics the disparities in maternal and infant health amongst Black women and Black babies. And so I was introduced to that by this grand midwife. Her name is uh, Jenny Joseph, affectionately Mama Jenny Joseph. Mm -hmm. And um, she, changed, she changed my world. She changed my world. I got into doula work thinking, I am going to you know, just serve moms at home. I had all my babies at home. This is great work. But then when I realized the disparities, it, it basically planted the seed to get Abide to where it is now. And so what is Abide? Abide is a maternal justice organization located in South Dallas. And we are a perinatal safe spot, which a perinatal safe spot is a place that provides accessible, understandable, holistic care for communities that are where it's unsafe, for women or birthing people to give birth, to raise a ch or to breastfeed or to even raise a child. And so we started off as a perinatal safe spot and now we are um, seeking our accreditation to be an easy access clinic, an accredited easy access clinic. And so we offer prenatal care, postnatal care, postpartum doula services, childbirth education, lactation support and material resources for our community um, and it's all donation-based. I so. love that so much. Like that is, like, I wish y'all could see me beaming right now because I'm just over here like, yes, all these things need to happen <laughs> now, like forever, for always. 
Um, would you actually mind if you have, I know you probably have some of the data facts off the top of your head because you're giving them everywhere. For those in our mm -hmm. audience who might not know, could you get some context as to why this is such an important topic? Yes, absolutely. So according to those disparities, this is what they were. Black women are dying at three to four times the rate of white women in childbirth. In childbirth or child-related causes, times five times, even higher the rate of white women. And black babies are dying at two to three times the rate of white babies before they reach their first birthday. And this isn't because those are black women aren't taking their bodies. No, it has everything to, everything to do with systemic racism. Everything to do with systemism. Um, it's black women not being believed. You know, it's, it's implicit bias in healthcare. It's it from from the phone call. <laughs> they don't black women don't even have to see anyone. It's from the initial phone call they make. It's with the sound of their name. It's if you have if you're on Medicaid or if you have private insurance, it's those biases that contribute to these disparities. I mean, most of us have seen the story of uh, Serena Williams and um, her not being heard and listened to, and she knew her body. You know, had had they not done what they needed to do, she may not be here today. You know, and so, um, you know, when it came to abide, we saw these statistics, and we realized that we needed a healthcare facility that centered the lives of Black women, a Black indigenous and people of color. And so that's why we exist and we do it unapologetically. And there is so much freedom in it. I bet. <laughs> when you be like, this is who we serve and this is why, and don't question why we're doing it because you know why we're doing it because y'all don't serve them. Mm -hmm. That has to be the most freeing feeling. And also the fact that like, you're getting so much recognition for this. Like people are like, no, everyone needs to be watching them because they are the way of the future right now. Oh, wow. Um, wow. I'm soaking that in. I'm soaking that in. <laughs> um, so I didn't warn you about this. I'm also like, I'm that hype girl. So like, I will be hyping you up throughout the rest of this podcast too. And like, I mean it with all of my heart. Like I do not invite a guest to this, be on the podcast without fully believing in who they are, their mission, their purpose, and knowing their voice needs to be out there further. So like, please soak in every moment of this because I mean it 110%. I am definitely soaking it up. Thank you so much, sister. <laughs> so speaking about the Black, Latino, Indigenous communities that you're serving, what are some of the difficulties of serving this group? Like we know with COVID, we've seen this, this hesitancy toward healthcare. We know the historical context of U.S. using our bodies as experimental zones. Um, but what are some of these ones that we might not know so much about? Uh, well, I mean, for, for Abide, Abide specifically, what are the difficulties in? Yes. Well, I mean, I would say it hasn't been very difficult. I mean, I think the reason why it hasn't been difficult for us is because we know, um, our clinic is inviting to our community. It is, it's inviting. When, when people come into our, through our doors, they immediately feel like weight lifted off of them. It, it's a place of rest, resistance, restoration, you know? 
And so for us, because we've integrated so many trainings on implicit bias, cultural humility, and we're, we're embracing what we do from a position of cultural humil humility, it, it's natural to us. Um, I would say the challenges at one point were funding. Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we'll talk about that. <laughs> I mean, like, I think that's a very valid point. You're doing the work. You've shown the need for this work to be done, and you can't do the work without the funding. So right. what's up funders from funding you? Oh man. Okay. So the film, the philanthropic world is is also white. Mm -hmm. It's also white, and um, unfortunately, it took the lynching of black men and women last year to get people to open their eyes to the realities that our lives in fact do matter. And so just in 2020, we've seen a significant increase in support. And at first I pushed back against it. At first it really just pissed me off mm -hmm. to be frank, you know, <laughs> it really pissed me off because it was like, we've been saying this for generations. Black women have been dying for generations. The mm -hmm. statistics keep climbing and we know the answer. We know the solution to it, which is racism. It's about, it's, it's being anti-racist anti is the answer to that, you know? And um, it, it took that for people to start waking up. And so um, thankfully, you know, the hope is that people are becoming more convicted and that they're really putting their their money and utilizing their privilege to really support organizations like ours and others across the country. Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, as far as the funding goes, it was a struggle because I felt like initially I was, you know, our what we've been saying, what we have been saying hasn't changed. And I felt like what we were saying and still am are is very impactful, you know, um, but it's taken until now. And on that note, like, I know it had to be frustrating having your microphone as big as it is and people still not listening. Yep. Um, how did you combat that people not listening? How did you keep yourself motivated in times when you felt like those who had the dollars didn't see the, the whole reason you were there, even though it was in black and white, white right in front of them in large print text. I think for me personally, it was my faith. It was, it was my faith. And then it was a June, is it June Jordan that says, we are the ones we have been waiting for, you know? And, you know, a long time ago, um, a, a, a few years ago, my pastor said, um, he encouraged me not to sell out. He was like, don't, he, and he was like, don't sell out. Don't feel like you have to do um, something a certain way in order to, in order to appease funders or a certain audience. And he was like, and don't underestimate the power of the black dollar. Mm -hmm. Don't underestimate it. And so I think that that was really encouraging for me. And then also, I will say it was freeing. You know, at first, um, pre-George Floyd, pre-Ahmaud Arbery, uh, pre-Breonna Taylor, all of that, I was, I was kind of tiptoeing because I was like, okay, you know, saying racism, systemic racism, these triggering words, they were triggering. And, 
you know, people didn't want any part of it, you know, or there'd be pushback. But then at some point I got fed up with feeling like I had to code switch so much and tiptoe around things that I just said, forget it. We're, this is who we're for. This is what we're about. And we're just going to walk in our authenticity. And being able to do that has, has proved to be incredibly freeing, not only for myself, but for my entire team. And we have volunteers from all over the spectrum in their beliefs, different races, genders, all of that. They're coming alongside us, even in the midst of that, they're, they're joining forces with us. And so it's, it's strengthened us as an organization. And I believe that we are hopefully anyways, being an example for other organizations out there. No, I, I personally love that because it's kind of funny. The more conversations I have with Black women and Black people who have been in this space for a long time, they're like, something switched the last summer. Like all of a sudden I stopped giving a crap about yeah. how, how uncomfortable I made people feel. Because at this point, whether I made them feel uncomfortable or not, or not didn't save my life. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's been such an wonderful thing to watch because it's been this kind of new I like to liken it to the Harlem Renaissance we have found our voice again we have found our narrative and we're very strong in it and it's very unapologetic it is and it's coming from every front every like regardless of what space you're in they're like this is it you can't argue with this look at the numbers look at the facts look at the news look at the person next to you whichever you yep. want to do is there yep and it's and I love that you that for you, it freed you to be able to do the work unapologetically and serve your clientele unapologetically. Yes. And I bet your clients feel that as well, that they can be more than, they don't have to try to be anything else. They are not them circumstances, they are them. Right. Um, which is so important. Um, when, it, when it comes to kind of like this holistic approach to your clients, mm -hmm. how do you build, it's like being integrated into the community knowing that the community is severely underserved, not because of anything they've done, just because of history, Dallas, whatever you want to call it. Um, it it's how do you encourage them to come in with their heads up? Like, not that you have to do so, because I feel like those in Southern Dallas typically start with their heads up. They have no reason to put their heads down, yep. first off, but reassuring that they don't have any reason to, that they are part of a family, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know so much. I think that the environment that they walk into kind of speaks for itself. Um, kind of going back to your other question about the, the struggles that we have as an organization, we are a brand new organization. So part of the struggle in starting an organization in South Dallas is not being rooted for a long period of time and not building that trust within the, within the community. So I would say that that's the biggest barrier. However, like people are talking. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the power is in the word of mouth, you know? And that's that's how our clients are, are reaching us. They're hearing of other people in the community, a girlfriend or whomever, someone they know, sharing about who we are and them just walking through the door. And so as far as um, them coming in, that reassurance is them coming in and them seeing, look, okay, Yes, this is, this is, this is what it is, you know? I mean, 
the one thing I would, I pride myself on as far as our organization is concerned is that it is a very familial environment. It doesn't feel like you're walking into a clinic. You feel like you're walking into someone's living room. You feel like you literally see people walk in and it's like weight is lifted. So many times, I mean, more often than not, people feel, they say they feel lighter. They feel like they want to sit down and kick their, kick their shoes off and just kick it, you know? And that's the kind of environment that um, we've been in, intentional about. And I, I love that so much that it's, it starts with the environment. It's not just the staff. It's not just anything. It's the space that they physically walk into also welcomes them. It's like a warm, like I, I like to compare everything to a warm hug from grandma when you're just like, I was meant to be here. And you just feel, you feel all your worries, your concerns just melt away. And you're like, I can do this. Whatever yes. it is, it is, whatever it is, I can do it. And like how, the importance of creating that environment. Cause I think so much, so much we don't think about the factor of environment and how that can just transform everything in so many ways for people without having to speak a word absolutely I mean what is it the white coat syndrome yes Where, you know the blood pressure just shoots up as soon as you see a white coat the cool thing about us is we we're staffed by midwives we're staffed by midwives and we have postpartum doulas trainers and peer counselors in the, the education slash waiting room, you know, it's like a living room and it's very, it's just very chill, you know? Um, and, and you're like, what? It's, it is a new experience. I will say that, you know, but it's also like, I think, I think one thing that, one thing that I want people to walk away from when they exit our space is to feel like healed. Like not just physically, but also like emotionally, mentally, spiritually, like the whole body, like everything that we do at Abide, it's, it's, it's more than the baby. It's more than the mother. It is the whole, it's the entirety of the family. It's okay. We've got lots of grandmas in the picture. You know, we've got lots of aunties. Mm -hmm. We've got fathers in the picture. How do we bring the entirety of the family in and um into this process of bringing new life you know into the world you know i think that's revolutionary in this time where everyone in some ways feel isolated like we've been removed from our tribes so much like the villages that help raise us mm -hmm. are far away from us now so it's like a lot of people don't have their aunties their grandmothers their mamas to help them raise this child and for those who do, they don't even know where to start. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I'm in that, I don't even know where to start. I live seven minutes away from my mom, 15 minutes away from my stepmom. And like, I'm like, I don't even know how you actually fit into this dynamic when I do have kids. But like, I knew I wanted you close. That's really all I knew at the point. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I think that's, that's so good that you, it's the whole family. It is a family experience, regardless if it's you by yourself, if it's you with your yeah. partner, with you with your extended family, you with your friends, whatever it is, it is a family and you have that support regardless. Exactly, exactly. Um, I realized I forgot to ask you to clarify. Could you explain what a midwife and a doula oh, yes. are? Those <laughs> I guess they're just like, what? Oh, yes, absolutely. I know I, I, I totally like toss out words out there without explaining. Um, midwives midwives you know to kind of put it in layman terms like 
I, I would say most people do go to the hospital to give birth. If you're going, if you find yourself pregnant, you go to a doctor, an OB-GYN. Mm -hmm. A midwife is a person that is trained in the area of childbirth, natural childbirth, or un, unmedicated childbirth. There we go. <laughs> And so they do everything um, with the exception of performing surgery, like C-sections. They don't do that. And so midwives can be found supporting birthing people at home in birth centers and some in the hospital. And there are certified professional midwives and then are, there are certified nurse midwives. We have certified professional midwives on staff. And our clinic director, she is a, um, she's waiting on to take her boards, but she's backed up by a certified professional midwives. A doula is a labor support person. This is a person that helps birthing people uh, during the process of labor uh, with physical, emotional, sometimes spiritual um, support, um, helping with comfort measures to help families or birthing people during the entirety of their laboring process. And then there are postpartum doulas. Postpartum doulas come after you have your have the baby and help you adjust to parenting, adjust to this new this new child outside of your body. You know, helps with your family if there are other families around. And also postpartum doulas are crucial really in um, recognizing um, you know, postpartum hemorrhage. Uh, recognizing when um, a, a woman or birthing person is really in need of even more care, whether that's um, that person is going through baby blues or which is kind of like depression right after you have that baby, um, depression, um, postpartum, uh, psychosis, being able to kind of recognize when a mother um, needs even more help. Um, sometimes they help with breastfeeding, um, just like ba basic baby, baby care. The thing that they um, don't teach you when they send you home with said baby and you just like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Oh, I'm supposed to leave the hospital with that thing? <laughs> the more parents I talk to, they're just like, yeah, we get in the car and I'm just like, they let us take this home, really? I'm going to take this thing home? <laughs> and I'm like, you, yes, it's your baby. You technically birthed it, so you are qualified. But right, right. <laughs> um, but thank you for that clarification. And for those who I know are now asking, can I have a doula or a midwife if I'm doing a hospital birth? Because I, that's usually the next follow-up question because I have yeah. that, that same question. Like, how do you choose what is best for you? Yes, absolutely. The, the cool thing about coming to Abide is that our midwife gives families options. Like you can give birth in the hospital, you can give birth at home, you can give birth at a birth center. Not too many people give you those options. It's not too often that you go to an OB-GYN and they let you know that you actually do in fact have other options that you can choose from. You go to the OB-GYN, this is the hospital that I'm associated with, you know? Mm -hmm. At Abide, we provide those options for them, you know? We don't attend births at Abide yet. Um, right now, we just provide prenatal care. But yes, so many people out there do not understand that they can give birth outside of the hospital, whether that be home or a birth center. And how do you, there are, um, and you can have a midwife in or out of the hospital. 
typically midwives in the hospital are nurse midwives and some hospitals have midwives on staff and that's great. And then there are midwives that help support families with home births or they're associated with a birth center. And so there are options out there. We just have to know that they exist. I hope all of you are taking copious notes and um, Googling furiously uh, <laughs> about what options are out there for you. Because I know the first time I heard about doulas and midwives, my mind was blown. My mother's a nurse. So like, as far as I've known, since I was born, I will be in a hospital giving birth. Like yeah. my mother, I went to the birth center once and my mother was like, nah, mm -mm, I'm in a hospital. And I'm like, okay, cool, cool. That's fine. I'm not going to fight you on that. That's hilarious. So I'm That's like, hilarious. I have a midwife while I'm at the hospital. She goes, we'll talk about it. I'm like, okay, okay <laughs> I can have some choice in my birth. I can work with that. That's right. That's right. And you know what? Like here in Dallas, there are so many doulas. Mm -hmm. There are a plethora. There, there are so many, so many birth doulas. And I think it makes me feel much more comfortable as a Black woman. I don't know. I think it's something about the history of doulas and midwives and the important nature that they've played in our culture yep. across the years, decades, centuries. It just, it makes me feel safer. Even when I know the statistics are not in my favor, sadly, it, it just, it calms my blood pressure. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there, there are studies that show that doulas help reduce the chance of C-sections. So having a doula there to help coach you and um, with those comfort measures and different ways to labor before you even get to the hospital, that is helpful. Mm -hmm. Like there is a huge benefit to having doulas. Um, so yeah, you know what's so funny? When I had uh, my first son, I remember telling my cousin that I hired a midwife and she said, what? <laughs> she said, what? And the first question out of her mouth was, what does she look like? <laughs> I mean, that's real because like, until I started talking to my black friends who had black midwives, I didn't know they existed. Like I assume they're all old white ladies. They're gonna be like, push. And I'm like, cool, that's not helpful. I might as well just be in a hospital then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, what's wild though, is that it was it was the grand midwives back in the day. It was, it was black women. It was our ancestors. They were the ones catching everybody's babies, not just our ancestors' babies, but they were catching white women's babies and black women were nursing white babies. And so historically, that's where really midwifery began. It was with black women. And over the over time, they vilified and you know, mid, the midwifery practice and essentially kind of shut black women out of this and then um appropriated it mm -hmm. and created licensures and you know they medicalized it and this is why only two percent two percent of midwives today are black two percent that's like i'm thinking about like the nursing population that are like black women like my mom's a black nurse she got a tribe of uh, I have a tribe of aunties that are black nurses yeah. and I'm like how is there not more than two percent that are midwives because I'm like there's a lot of black nurses there's a lot of black uh, CNAs um there's a lot of like we the care 
industry is surrounded by black women, yet only two percent are only two percent. Yeah, because of the structures that they have created in order to become a midwife. Oftentimes you have to come, you do have to come from a position of privilege. There's there, there's really hardly any um, financial assistance to become a midwife. You, it's, it's nearly impossible to hold down a job and practice midwifery. Like you're on call 24 hours a day. And so being able to balance those two, like you either have to have a spouse that is funding you or a trust fund money and savings to pursue this work you know taking out a tremendous loan to live on so that you can be a full-time student and so that these barriers they're they're really messed up mm -hmm. the, like the, the way in which you it's so different um than going to nursing school it's it's just it's different and it has created barriers to black women actually becoming midwives and because there's there are not very many many black preceptors mm -hmm. not saying that everybody is racist but the reality is that there is a tremendous amount of racism in the midwifery world and it's it is often unsafe for black students to not have a black midwife as their preceptor mm -hmm. teaching them the ways of our ancestors like like traditionally passing that along you know and so it again creates bound um it creates boundaries or is that the word <laughs> is that the word that i'm trying to say Sorry, it creates hurdles <laughs> it creates hurdles and um the length of time that i've seen uh, my black sisters in seeking to become midwives has it's been really hard you know, I'm not a midwife. I am, I'm not a doula. I run this organization, but I've heard story after story after story and it's devastating. It really is. And so we really need to pour into black student midwives because it is hard. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to do that. And not to mention, if you have the calling on your life to be become a midwife and you're a single mother. No. Like, that just it, sounds impossible because you're it, having, it's close to impossible it's like you're trying to figure out 24-hour emergency child care situations right. in a society where child care is just ridiculously expensive and you're already paying yep. out the wazoo to try to even get like oh yeah but there are solutions which part of is part of what we're doing like, like that you know the grant that we received through the heritage giving fund is going to help support for student midwives, you know, through their process, going through the prep process. And, you know, once we launch our birth center, which we're getting ready to launch a capital campaign for that, woo we're so excited about it. We um, plan to have student housing on site. Wow. And so we want that, we don't want them to have to worry about the overhead. Like just, we have, we have that for you while you're pursuing midwifery. I love and, that so much because this, what you're doing is so much more than just like fixing a problem. This is legacy work. You're reclaiming an industry that has historically been our industry. It is part of our culture and has happened to be whitewashed. <laughs> um, and in providing that experience for those who have been called to it and giving them the opportunity to experience and grow in it, 
And that's like, you don't come across an organization like that every day. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? Okay. So this is what I've learned. I have learned a tremendous amount through, um, through being in a position of leadership mm-hmm. with the bike. Um, I don't, I, and I have learned that people don't utilize their power and they don't utilize their power like they should. You have a tremendous amount of power to do for good, mm-hmm. you know? And some of the things I'd like to share with you that we've implemented within our organization. We're a small organization, okay? But, you know, running this organization, I realized I'm like, okay, three, three, you know, I have a staff of four, three of us have children. Okay, we need childcare. Okay, so we put that in the budget. How difficult is it to put it in the budget? Okay, okay. one of our missions is to like reject, resist grind culture. Okay, what was happening pre-pandemic wasn't healthy. It's clear that how we're operating as a, has, as a country, all of this was not healthy at all. And so we have um, full-time is 32 hours. Full-time is 32 hours a week. That's it. That's beautiful. Okay? I don't, it's, it, anyone could do that. Mm-hmm. You can say no. Yeah, we could do 40. We could, but we want everyone to be healthy and to operate from, from the spirit of rest. Okay, we're not a big organization again. We don't really have the capacity to have on this big, you know, healthcare package, like private insurance package. It's really expensive for a really tiny organization. So what do we do? We have to get creative. And so we put, we put funds in our budget so that that can go, we have certain amount that's allocated for each individual that can be used for healthcare expenses. Okay. And also part of that, oh, you don't need healthcare because your, your spouse or your significant other has it. Okay. That can be used for tuition reimbursement for, you have to, you know, pursue something that is, um, that can help benefit the organization. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it's a small organization. That's like anything. It's it like is, anything, anything you want. <laughs> exactly. Okay. You want to get certified in childbirth education. You want to get your nutrition certification. You want to do this, like, yeah. And so I'm like, my staff is always like, they're always in tears, really. Like, what? What is this? <laughs> what? Huh? And I'm like, I, to me, it's common sense. Like, to me, I don't think it's that difficult. You can do this thing. You can center the lives of your staff and people over policy, over what has always just been done because it's just been done. And so that's part, I guess that's part of our act of resistance is being countercultural. And so, no, we're, ha- we're setting boundaries and we're still gonna, we're no longer going to just survive. We're going to thrive. We're gonna thrive as individuals. We're gonna have healthy individuals and we're gonna have a healthy organization. And I'd say we do have both of those. I love that so much because it never once did you question, is this the way it should be? 
you're like, no, it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's been done. It's the opposite of what it should be. Like, this is just yeah. it. <laughs> I'm yeah. taking care of my employees and this is what we're going to do. Yeah. <laughs> and like, yeah. I love that boldness because I feel like when we ask ourselves, is this the way it should be? Am I qualified to do this? We relinquish our power mm-hmm. in so many ways because we're putting a decision out to the bigger world. We're questioning whether or not we have the power to do so. And I love that you don't question it. It just is. It just is. You're like, it I just this organization and whatever I want to do is the right way to do it. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's what it is. <laughs> but I, I love that though, because it's so powerful in itself. And I love that it's being done to assist, to advocate for people who often seem voiceless, which they're not. The, there's nothing voiceless about black women, about no, of any any color. We are okay. not voiceless. We are some of the loudest people you ever heard. You just don't listen. Okay. <laughs> yes. <And> it, <laughs> I just love that you built this very un, unapologetic platform for very unapologetic women to live their unapologetic best lives, to raise unapologetic children in the end, creating a universe that we would never be able to imagine before this. Yeah. And I'm just like, how? <laughs> you know what? I think, Catherine, I, I, I am committed to walking free. I, I, I get emotional just thinking about it because I'm walking around not liberated not having the ability to really authentically free in ourselves, you know? And um, that's, that's where abide, that's where abide comes in. I'm like, if, if there is, if there's ever a way for us to do this, we can do this through this organization. We can be the example we can create, we can operate, um, in, in, in a way that we want to, in a way that we want to exist, in a way that we want to be seen by the world and operate in freedom, you know? Um, and it's just like one per, you know, our little staff at a time. And then that oozes out to our client base and it oozes out, oozes out into our families. And the hope is that it oozes out into other organizational leaders. I'm like, we have the power to change things. We do. We do not have to settle for what has been given to us. We do not have to settle for what the the societal norms, we don't have to do that anymore. We have that power. And it's, I feel like it's so easy. Like, and to, I, I think the easy part for me, I think, is when I just stopped trying to please people. Like, I stopped trying to um, gain the, I stopped trying to sit at other people's table. Yes. That's it. That there is revolutionary when you're like, I don't need your table. I, and we don't. We don't. The tables that we want seats at do not serve us. Right. 
and us being there does not change that fact at all. It just adds diversity to the table. <laughs> it does. It, it adds diversity. And then at the, it, and at the sake of our own selves, like mm -hmm. it ends up, um, what, what's her in get out the, um, you end up just being like stuck and trapped in the sunken place, like not wanting to scream, but not being able to, you know? And so it just, I don't, I don't do that anymore. And so, I mean, it's very, it's freeing, but it's also like when opportunities presented itself for me to step into certain positions where they're having these big executive trainings and blah, blah, different way. Like I have to look and scope it out and just kind of feel like, does this really fit what we're trying to do? Mm -hmm. Like, no, that's, that's, that looks very cultural. What we're doing is countercultural. We're just going to keep on doing what we're, what we're doing, you know? And so it, it has been incredibly healing. It really has. And the thing about it is I haven't had to, I'm just going to keep doing this work, but also understanding that I'm not in a position where I'm trying to chase money. Yeah. Like we, it will come. You build it, it will come. The funding will come. Keep working. But the point, you get to a point where you're like chasing it. Mm, no, not no. doing that. And on that note, yeah. Like, have you experienced, like, I worked in nonprofits. I still work in nonprofits, but I worked at a granting institution at some point. Um, the dog and pony show that is the grant cycle present this yeah. way act this way, show our donors this time, and maybe we'll throw you something. Um, have you just managed, have you just been like, nah, not for us? No, like we, we, uh, we apply for grants, but I don't, I, I will not, uh, yeah, I don't participate in that. <laughs> That's so I yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Like, I think that that can, doing that actually, is um appeasing to whiteness mm -hmm. i think i think that's like stepping back into this 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 culture of whiteness and it's not worth it it's not it's not worth sacrificing our values no that's, yeah. that's, i'm glad you said that I'm, and i mainly asked because i heard a discussion between people of all different races talking about an organization who had done a virtual site visit and on the site visit, he was doing his job. He was like in the middle of like feeding the homeless because that's what he does every Thursday. And people were like, I don't understand why he couldn't wear a suit and like not do this this one weekend to like do the site visit with us. And I'm like, you asking this man to not do what you would be giving him money to do <laughs> to impress you to get your money. Yeah. What sense does that make? <laughs> what sense? Yeah, what sense does it make? I think that we're in a position for 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 people of all variety, all cultures. I think we are in a really good and powerful position for us to demand our space, which mm -hmm. means also coming as our authentic self. If I want to show up in a dashiki, I want to show up. If I want to show up with my, you know, I don't know, I can't, I'm running out of words. <laughs> if, you know, you want to show up representing your culture in various spaces, do that. 
because what we've done again it's countercultural. like what we have here the, the cultural norms we know in, in western culture is white centered you know and then in others everything else and so i think i'm just in this position where i'm just like no we we have to resist you know we have to demand our space take up space and be unapologetic about it and not uh, there's this quote that i I've said before, and it's um, with regards to, to maternal health, and it says, as long as whiteness remains the standard, Black women will continue to die. Oh, fact. And it's the truth. Mm -hmm. It is. As long as whiteness is the standard, Black women will continue to die. As long as whiteness is the standard, we lose a bit of ourselves when we enter, when we step into that, we lose a little bit of ourselves. And so it's time for us to start taking up space. No, I love can. that so much. So one last question, because I think that's yeah. a good segue for my last <laughs> question, which is you, what advice do you have for someone who is just beginning to take up the space? Someone who is learning to embrace not caring about what the norm says they should do and is just thriving in that freedom or wanting to at least. <laughs> yeah, breathe, breathe. And um, understand that it's part of the resistance. Um, knowing that when you, when you do step into that place, you're healing yourself, you know? We're, we're, we're really strategically like healing systemic trauma that's been passed on from generation to generation, the more that we step into ourselves. And so breathe it in and then also release all of the negativity, release the stuff that you've been holding in, hold, holding in for so long. Trust me, I have been in white spaces for a long time. I have been tokenized I in so many ways, you know, but the moment that I, um, just woke up, <laughs> grew my wings, you know, released it. it. It's freeing. So just breathe. I breathe. love that. And as someone who literally created this podcast because I don't know what I'm doing with my own life and question what I'm doing with my own life on a regular basis, that is such powerful advice because I feel at most at ease with my decision when I just breathe. <laughs> yes. Yes, I want to tell you something, and not too many people know this. I don't like advertise. I don't advertise it, but I don't have a college degree. I love that so much. I don't. And honestly, I, in this industry, it is worthless. Uh, right, but a lot of times people think that that's what you need, mm -hmm. and so like I, I do. I, I bat. I for real, I do battle with imposter syndrome sometimes. But at, at some point, you have to just understand that. <laughs> when you have vision, when you have passion, do it. Just, just step out and do it. No matter what anyone says, like passion and vision is so good. It's so powerful. So just step out in it, step out on faith and don't let, don't let anything hold you back. You know, I don't think that there is no litmus test to who can be a successful executive. What does that look like? 
who knows at this point you know (laughs) who knows exactly we're all in this we're all trying to figure things out ourselves right yeah that's encouraging to those that are listening just i don't have a degree this is new this is new to me i love that and i appreciate that vulnerability because i know in a world that puts paper over skills and everything else yep (laughs) it can be hard but like you're once again you are creating legacy work like this is something that will live far beyond you and make a difference far beyond you or anything that you understand and you are touching people that you don't even know that like the impact that's going to come from that Mm -hmm. right now and i i I, like the way you're so passionate about it and the way you're like no this is it (laughs) everything it's it's just everything and that's my hope that's my hope Catherine. is that to understand I'm walking in this knowing that this is legacy work. You know, we, we at about right now, we're just planting little seeds. Mm-hmm. We're planting seeds while we're system, we're planting seeds while we're also systematically ripping out the weeds. Yes. The weeds of injustice, planting su- seeds that will over time, generation to generation produce beautiful ripe fruit that our children and our grandchildren and our grand-grandchildren can eat from, you know? That brings me joy right there. I, I I did not know how much I needed this conversation today, but I really did. Like, my heart is so full. Like, I feel my skin starting to glow all of a sudden. I'm like, it just, it just fed me in so many ways. <laughs> oh, yes. And like, as a young woman, thinking about family planning to know there's women out there like you who are just like now nah, we bringing this back to us this this is about yep. our care this is about our like how we want to be treated this is for us by us funded by us all the things yep it makes such a difference and I hope anyone who is listening to this who might have a tinge of fear about what's to come breathe remember breathe first always and yep. second just take the first step we got to start somewhere. We but do. thank you. Thank you so much for this. Cecily and her team are truly doing legacy work, bringing family and community together to support mothers through the joy of childbirth, taking care of them both before and after. Everyone deserves quality care. And that's exactly what Cecily is providing. Also, it makes me feel better to know that midwifery and doula services are being reclaimed by Black women who started the field to begin with. Cecily boldly stepped into building a organization that serves women who need it the most, creating something for the community by the community and doing it her own way. For anyone who's thinking about creating something new, just do it. It's your project. There is no comparing it to others. It's uniquely yours and can reflect your values. There's no wrong way to do it when it's yours. But remember, breathe and enjoy the ride. Tune in on the second and fourth Sundays of the month for a new episode of Am I Qualified to Do This? Until then, remember, if you're not qualified to do it with your wisdom, experience, truth, and skills, then who is?